0: Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Dry Run Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at dryrunbaptist.org. Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. The trial that we are looking at this morning is not all over the news. It is a trial that is not covered by news outlets. And yet, it's very significant and very important. The trial, what is this trial, you might ask me? The trial is each and every single one of us answering the question, that is posed here in Mark fifteen. What are you going to do with the one that they call the King of the Jews? You see, Mark fifteen is there's a subtle shift in the questions that happen here in Mark fifteen. Pilate asks Jesus, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And then the the, the question shifts. To what shall you do with the King of the Jews? So as, as our march verse by verse through the book of Mark is catapulting to an end, skyrocketing to the climax of the book, realize that the cement is setting on the answering of this question in the lives of these people, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. Today, in the first 15 verses of Mark 15, is the no turning back point in the life of everyone dealing with this king. And whether you realize it or not, the cement is quickly setting on your life. It is catapulting and skyrocketing to an end. The dash has a date and it has a dash and there will be another number soon that fills in the rest of the tombstone. And the question is not who is this man? Is he the king of the Jews? The greatest question in all our lives are what are you going to do with this one? What are you going to do with this one? And realize that you don't have a lot of time to cement that in your mind because it is drying and it is setting very quickly on this rainy morning. So let's look at how they answered this question that we might answer it better with our lives ourselves. If you would mind to stand in the honor of the breathed out word of God, If you're able, Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges that they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, this is a weighty passage and a weighty question of what we shall do with your son. Forgive us for treating him so lightly, one that you esteem so highly forgive us, allow us the pleasure to worship him for all that he is worth this morning. We pray that you would help us to do this, that you would have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. So just to kind of give you all a quick reminder of where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has just been betrayed by one of His closest friends, and the rest of His friends has fled, and He's completely alone and surrounded by His enemies. As far as worldly standards go, He is completely by Himself. As Christians, we know in the context of the Scriptures that He is not alone, but always present with God the Father. But as far as man goes, he they are gone at this point, in the Gospel of Mark. And amongst amongst this trial in which Jesus was betrayed and then tried by the chief priests, elders, and scribes, they have come to the realization that they want him dead. And they came to that realization before they even tried him. But they tried him just to carry it out along their official lines, just to fill out the paperwork. But they have one big problem at this point. They are a subservient people to Rome. So what happens here is this is the federal trial of the Lord Jesus here in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. Think of it like this. In a state that doesn't have a death penalty, they would then make it a federal trial in order to carry out the said execution. That is what happens here in Mark 15, verses 1 through 15, they make this a federal trial for the Lord Jesus because the Romans have to be the ones to carry out this death penalty that they hunger for so much. So after this midnight trial, Jesus was condemned to die because he was one who claimed to be the Christ, the Son of the blessed. He is now before Pilate, who is this secular king. I don't think he went to Sunday school. So the, as far as he could tell, looking at all of this, this is just a squabble between Jewish people over who's boss. So he looks at Jesus when they bring him before Jesus, and he says, oh, okay, so are you the, the one who is the king of the Jews? All this is is a fight between in-house between these people about who's in charge, who's the king, And Jesus' responds to him in Mark 15, yes, you have said it. So Jesus makes his claim in front of Pilate, and then his enemies come before Pilate and start accusing him of all of these things, because how are we going to make this a federal trial unless we bring out all these charges in front of somebody who can do something about it? So that is what they do. And what is Jesus' response to all of these charges? Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't do anything or say anything. Pilate is amazed. Now here is something that's completely different than he's used to at this point. He he is a man of power, right? I have no idea about this authority, but he is used to people coming up to him and groveling and begging for their lives. He's used to people coming up and declaring their innocence and talking about how they didn't do anything wrong and I am innocent, and I should be let go. Knowing that Pilate has the power to crucify, to kill, to scourge, to destroy. But on this day, on this trial, this person is unlike any other person that he's probably ever seen. Why? He does not defend himself in the midst of lies. He doesn't say anything at this point. They say all these things about him and he looks at Jesus and says, do you have anything to say about all of these things? Nothing. There's some type of quiet confidence in the midst of this man's own execution. Therefore, a secular king is amazed. He's amazed. Pilate's amazed. Matthew 27, 14 says he didn't give an answer to a single charge, not one. Luke fills it in that Pilate realizes this guy's innocent. Oh, and he's not even in my jurisdiction. So he sends him on because he's a Galilean. So he sends him on to Herod and Herod questions him realizes he's innocent, yeah, I'm not dealing with this mess, sends him back to Pilate. So it goes, Pilate, Herod, Pilate, if you're keeping score at home. And Luke and the other gospel writers let us know that that happens. But both of these men understand that they are questioning an innocent man. One who didn't do anything wrong. One who didn't deserve anything like this. So look look at what's happening here. Two secular, godless rulers have realized that Jesus is innocent and they tried to let him go. Pilate doesn't understand what Jesus is claiming about himself. He uses worldly categories and he says, you're like a Jewish king, right? So what happens here is that Pilate tries to let Jesus go. That's what he does. Every year at the feast, here's how he's going to do it. Every year at the feast, they pardon the guy and I'm going to pardon the guy this, this time. So he's hoping it's Jesus. So here's what happens in verse 7, if you want to look down at your Bible with you. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So people here were under Rome, and yet there was an uprising, many, many uprisings, and in one of those uprisings, there was a killer, a murderer, a robber. His name was Barabbas, and he got caught. He got caught. And Matthew 27 says he was a notorious prisoner. So if you're following Pilate's reasoning here, he looks at Jesus and says, that one's innocent, but these people can't tell that he's innocent, so le- let me help a brother out. I'm going to put this Jesus next to an actual sinner. I'm going to put him next to a sinner, and somebody who's clearly guilty, and everybody knows that he's notorious about it, one who's clearly on the news all the time, Mugshots are all over town, all over town. And they're going to figure out when they see Jesus next to a real sinner that he is not like that. So they'll be able to see his innocence. They'll be able to tell the difference between a murderer and an innocent man. But they couldn't see it, though, could they? Look at verse 10. Here's why. For he, being Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. To an extent, they realized who Jesus was and what he had done up to this point. And they said, this one has to go. And their envy of him was so strong that even this secular godless king realizes, one, this is a fight about who's in charge amongst Jews. This guy is innocent and those guys are jealous. So he's putting the pieces together in his own mind. Verse 10 tells us he understands their motivation here. So notice what's happening in this. Why is Jesus here? Why is Jesus here in this trial? And you may say, on a level, because of the sovereign foreordained plan of God. Yes. Yes. All things happen according to his will. He is sovereign over every square inch, every molecule, every beck of dust that flies through your house when you open the shade. Sovereign and in control, in large and in charge over all of those things. But from the level that we're looking at here in Mark, why is this happening? Verse 10 says that they were envious of him. From from a God-sized perspective, the foreordained plan of God is being carried out in the trial and the death of the Lord Jesus. But the view that Mark gives us today, from where we're sitting, right, from where we're sitting, is that they're envious of this guy. So do you see what's happening here in Mark 15? These people, the chief priests, elders, scribes, religious leaders of the day, have compared themselves to Jesus, and instead of coming out on the other side repenting, They came out on the other side saying he's a sinner. He's the wrong one. That's the problem. Sin had blinded their eyes so much, right? They compared themselves to Jesus. They lost that comparison. They're envious of Jesus. So what happens? Pilate brings Jesus next to to Barabbas here and he says, now look at him, right? Let me compare him to this and see if you can see his innocence and his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness. No, still can't see it. Can't see it, still can't see it. Their envy had blinded their eyes. Their envy doesn't recognize innocence. It just doesn't. When you look at something someone else has that you want, it just can't be that they worked hard and fought through to get there. So what's happening here is they compared themselves to Jesus. They lost that comparison, as we all would. And yet they come out on the other side saying, he's the sinner. Jesus is the one who's wrong. That's what happens here. You may think, wow, that's a serious charge. I can't believe that these people would say that they were right and God in the flesh is wrong. I can't believe these people would do that. However, these religious leaders were not the last people to think that, were they? They weren't the last people. We're like that. How many of us look at our situation and think that we could do it better than God and that God got it wrong and that if he could just get it right, like us, then things would go better, right? We compare ourselves, our lives to God's Word and we come out treating God like the sinner, God like the one who could do better. No. That's not right. They envied Jesus because he was what they weren't. He did what they didn't do. He got what they got. The following that they wanted, he got. And that's the first... Aspect of what we see of the Lord Jesus in this is that he is treated like a sinner. They treat Jesus like he is a sinner. Think about it even more. The sinners treat Jesus like he's a sinner. And in all this, Job did not charge God with wrong. And in all this, they did not charge Jesus with right. No. Pilate sees all this clear as day. I've compared, they've compared themselves to him. They lost. One of us is wrong here, and it is him. That is awful. Pilate tries to help them out. You think hes a, you think he's such, such a bad guy? I'm going to put him next to a real bad guy, and see if you guys can see how, about, how he's not anything like this guy. They do that, And it doesn't work. So here's the problem. They have compared themselves to the Lord Jesus. It didn't go good.) <laughs> There, there's some a theological tag on that. It didn't go good. It didn't. And the reason they couldn't see Him rightly is they compared themselves to Him and they justified themselves. That is a problem for them and that's a problem for us when we compare our lives to the Scriptures or to the person of the Lord Jesus and justify ourself cause we could sell ourselves anything we wanted to if we really wanted to, couldn't we? You go, I'm not really into sales. You sell yourself stuff all the time. You don't stop until you can find five, six half reasons for what you're doing and why it makes it okay. These sinners did that to the Lord Jesus. So what should we do? What should we do different? This is what happened to him. This is how they're answering the question of what shall we do with the kingdom of the Jews? Well, I compared myself to him. I lost. And now he has to go. What do we do different that they did? Well, we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. There's something very biblical of examining your life compared to his life. There's something very biblical about examining your life according to the scriptures. But if you do it right, you're going to come out a sinner. And he's going to come out a savior. See the difference? And here's why we struggle with that. We do not like to be wrong. We do not like to be wrong. Or wait, maybe you're okay with it and you're humble and you're holy like that. But I really don't like being wrong. That's why I don't like arguing with my wife. I never win. She's always right. You go, we get it. She's proverbially always right. And I'm like, no, no, no. See, that's not it. That's not it. She really is. I haven't had one argument with her that I didn't walk away going, I see it. Yeah, I got it. I got Yeah, that's correct. Maybe I should change my name on my birth certificate. I don't know, right? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I don't like that. I don't like being wrong. I don't like being the one that needs to repent. But these people compared themselves to the Lord Jesus and came out on the other side envious of Him as opposed to repentance. We can't do that. We can't do that. Because here's the other option. Here's the other option. You compare yourself to Him and you say that He's wrong. Or what's popular in our culture is comparing ourselves to the Lord Jesus and changing Jesus. Jesus lines up with me, a different one, one that isn't. Here's a problem. The church father origin, in one of the earliest manuscripts of the scriptures, there is a version of Mark, as we'll get into manuscripts in a couple weeks. It'll be great. It'll be great. (laughs) When we get to that ending of Mark, it'll be great. There is a manuscript out there. There's manuscript evidence of Barabbas, in the Gospels, that Barabbas' first name, does anybody want to guess what Barabbas' first name likely was? Jesus. Sunday school answer. So there's people in the early church who believed that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. So here they are on this stage. And there's Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas. Or Jesus, son of the father. Very ironic, right? That's what Barabbas means. Like Abba, father. Bar being son. Son of father, Barabbas. So here's what's happening in this verse. Either they compare themselves to Jesus and they come out in this trial wanting to condemn him and justify themselves. Or there's Jesus here who is the Christ. And this counterfeit Jesus, Jesus bar Barabbas. And they picked the wrong one. Why? They picked the one that was more like them. They picked the one that was more like them. Jesus Barabbas. They'd rather have him. How messed up is that? But let me remind us that a Jesus that is like us A sinner like us, fallible like us, is not one that can save us. He can't. Barabbas can't save. His name may be Jesus, Son of the Father, but there's only one Jesus who can make sons of the Father, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth. So compare yourself to him. Do not condemn him. That's fine if you compare yourself, but do not condemn him. Do not trade him for another. Easier, palatable version. No, there is only one. And if you've got the wrong one, you have another one. So let me tell you about the right one. Pilate... At this point, he's calling him a king, knows he's innocent, says, Which one do you want me to release, Jesus, king of the Jews, or Barabbas? To which, verse 11, here's the response, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So, Jesus is treated like a sinner, but Jesus is not a sinner. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem there? He's treated like a sinner, but Jesus is not a sinner. They treated him as if he was one of us instead of one for us. See the difference? Jesus is not just one like us. He's one for us in a way that we could never be for ourselves. Notice how this unfolds in verse 12. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the one who you call, the man you call, the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted, All the more, Crucify him! See, his innocence has been established, which leads Pilate to question, Well, what am I going to do with him? It wouldn't be right to kill an innocent man. And in the stone-cold heart of this low-level governor, he understood that injustice was being done here. As ignorant of holy things, he knows that As we say, where I'm from, this ain't right. This ain't right. This ain't right. What evil has he done? And they respond with, again, crucify him. And what? Free for us. Barabbas. You see, when the sun rose on this day, Barabbas knew what would likely happen to him. He knew everything he'd done in the past. He knew he could probably remember the people he's killed he could probably remember the people he stole from. And he knew that he would likely be ridiculed, either scourged or crucified, something along those lines. One of those two probably is going to happen to him because he was a public prisoner of a powerful empire, and that didn't go so well. Yet, on this day, He got to eat dinner after this. How does that work? He got to go. He got to go home. That's what he did. Here's what that means. Just like before Pilate and Herod, they came away saying, what evil has Jesus done? The answer to his question, the question is that he didn't do anything. Barabbas was the one who did the evil. Jesus was the one who didn't do evil. He never did. If we're in a class with him at school, he got everything right on his test. And there's two, let's say there's two types of people in that class. You in the back, asleep, who didn't even take the test because you didn't even care about it. When it's all said and done, Jesus' perfect test would then be given to the guy in the back. Too apathetic to even answer a question. And the girl on the side, who answered all the questions wrong, still failed it, Jesus' test gets given. To her. Why? What evil has he done? He didn't miss any. He never missed any at any point. I know that you know this in practice, right? That if you're a Christian, that this is what happened. This is the exchange that made the Savior for the sinner. But do you realize, and have you thought long and hard, that when your temper burns hot and out of control that his never did. He never did. He never did that. When your neighbor comes and says, let me tell you this, you didn't hear this from me, and when you pass it on, it wasn't me that told it to you. He never did that. He never gossiped like that. He didn't do that. He didn't. When he saw someone he wasn't married to walking down the sidewalk, he didn't say, Yeah, I'll take that one. He never did that. He never did that. He was tempted in every way that we are, every single way, except without sin. That's the difference. That's the difference. Though he was innocent, he was condemned. Though Barabbas was condemned, he got to go free. Notice verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So if you're tracking with me right now, Jesus is treated like a sinner. Jesus is not a sinner. Jesus is a substitute for sinners. Jesus is a substitute for sinners. So the verdict has been handed down. They'd nail him to a cross, and he'd hang there naked and shamed and spit on and ridiculed. That is the verdict of verse 15. This was not a... I'm not going to glorify this, but this was not a quick method of execution, but this was the, the, the slow cooker crockpot pot version of killing is what they would do to the lord jesus it was low and slow it was long and drawn out that is what is before him it's where we get our english word excruciating from the pain that would come from this sentence handed down to an innocent jesus That's the sentence avoided by Barabbas. So though Jesus has not died on the cross here in Mark, this is a picture of beforehand that would happen there on the cross. Jesus being condemned in the place of Barabbas. Barabbas being able to go free, even though he's guilty. Jesus would be placed on the cross for the sinner. And the sinner's sin would then be placed on the Lord Jesus on the cross as he died there in my place, he stood. That's what's happening. See, as we've walked through Mark together, you might have seen yourself a lot like Judas because you have traded him in for other things. Or you might feel a lot like Peter because you denied him when conversations got difficult when, when the pressure was on or it got really inconvenient, you distanced yourself from your Lord or your Christian conviction. That may be who you seem a whole lot like, right? Either Judas who betrayed or Peter who denied. Let me introduce you to your twin, Barabbas. Barabbas. You're a lot like him. I'm a lot like him. Barabbas. Barabbas. Because guilty as I was, right? Guilty as you are. And the thing about Barabbas is his sin was notorious. When he sinned, it made the news. And your sin may make the news. I don't know. Maybe it had made the news in the past. I I haven't done the background checked on on everyone but it's notorious to you though right like you know you know you know what you've done when you've taken things that weren't yours glory that belonged only to god you took it and you're like yeah i guess i did do that didn't i you should stop talking about that you should stop praising me you know You know, right? Your sin is notorious to you, or at least it should be. And though you, a sinner, guilty, condemned to die, the Lord Jesus died in your place. You go, Rob, I don't think it's really healthy. that I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven. I don't think it's healthy to go back there, to think through everything that he brought me through. Let me caution you, don't live there. Right? Don't live in your sin. Do not glorify it. It's okay to lament it, though. To go back and go, this is everything I've done. This is what I brought to the Lord. This this was in my hands when I came to Him. This is how dirty my hands were. Why is it okay to, to take moments and stop and go, this is everything I've done that should have been nailed to me on a cross... We don't live there, but we go back and visit. We think through everything that we've done and then we shift our eyes from the sentence that we deserved to the grace that we got instead. Make that shift. By all means, go back to Barabbas' rap sheet, the one that you shared with him, the sins that you've committed. My sins, they were many. And then make that shift to how much mercy the Lord has given to you when in your place he stood. You were condemned. He was condemned in your place and you got to go free. Yes, you're a lot like Judas because you have turned him in, traded him in. Yes, you're a lot like Peter. You've denied him when it got difficult. But you're a lot more like Like Barabbas here, if you are a Christian, because all of your denial, all of everything you've done in the past, it's gone and it's been placed upon him. All of that denial, all of that betrayal, it's gone and it's placed upon him. It's on him. That's why you don't have to carry the weight of the world. One because you can't. Two, because there's one who can. And he is the one who would carry his own cross beam up to Mount Calvary Why? Why is this happening? Why does all this matter? Because God is holy. That's our biggest problem is how much God is holy and how much we're not perfect like Him when He told us to be. Man is a sinner who's rebelled against God like he read earlier. We all like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. You see, you liked going your way. You thought it was best. The Bible called it sin because it wasn't God's way. Well, God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus and he lived the perfect life and died on the cross for your sins. And this day, this day, how they looked at him was cemented. The judgment was handed down. Not handed down on Jesus, but upon everyone who looked upon him and realized what they were going to do with him. This was the day. It's all finalized here. So if you're not a Christian, this God who became a man lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for everything you've done against God and he rose on the third day victorious over death, hell in the grave and everything in between. Our scriptures tell us that this Jesus, who they are condemning to death, comes back alive again, resurrected alive after death to never die again. So this is not a tragedy. This is not a tragedy as we count tragedies. This is an offering for sin that God did for you in his son, in your place. You see, because on one hand, Jesus is treated like a sinner here on the text. But on the cross, he was treated like a sinner by God. He was treated like you should have been treated on the cross. He who was not a sinner became treated like a sinner on the cross. But what did God do there? He was a substitute for sinners. Now you go scot-free because he went in the ground and came up out of the grave. Oh, what people ought we to be in light of that. How do we receive this? Well, we turn from everything we've done and trust in everything that Jesus has done. That's what we do. The burning question that you must answer comes from the passage, what are you going to do with him? Are you treating him right? Are you responding rightly to everything he's done? Let me give you three R's just for fun. Southern Baptists like that kind of thing. How do we respond What should we do with the one who's called king of the Jews? Here's our three R's of response. You ready? First, we recognize his authority. And this is in the first two verses of Mark 15. You see, what happens is that he is led here and asked if he is a king of the Jews Elsewhere, they're going to put they put cross, they put a crown on him and wrapped him in purple. In verses 16 through 20, that we'll look at next week. They so what I see here is the irony from Mark is thick. This low-level mid-manager here, Pilate, has the king of kings before him, and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? What's the the ironic thing about that? He is the king of every king, of every throne, of every dominion, of every power. He's above all of those things. And here he is with his mid-manager being questioned and spit on by people who aren't worthy to carry his bootstraps. So what do we do with the king of the Jews? We put his authority right that there is none above him. None above him. We don't question his identity. We question of our identity in light of his. Everything that we are matters in light of who he is. We don't go, are you the king of the Jews? No. The answer. The question is, what am I going to do with you? How do I respond rightly to you? Well, I recognize your authority over my life. The claim that you make has no end to it. In him, all things hold together. All things were created through Him and for Him and by Him. In Him, everything was made that was made. And what do we do with that? Well, the big problem that they did in verses 3 through 14, we repent because of His holiness. Look at who He is. He is this King. And I am not. We don't compare ourselves to him and say, God got it wrong. No. We come humbly under his authority and we say, you are holy and you are right. And I am not. Realizing that we're the one on trial by him. By a holy king. We're on trial. We're the ones on trial. He's not on trial. We're on trial. And then thirdly, we respond to him in our place of condemnation. One who is above all things came down into all this mess and he was holy in the place of dirty, rotten, nasty scoundrels. That's us. Realized that he was the one condemned in our place. The worst thing that could happen to you today, I don't want to go there, right? I don't want it to happen. I don't want to even think about the worst thing that could happen to me today. But the worst thing that could ever happen in my entire existence happened to the Lord Jesus in my place. Right? I don't know. I don't want to play that game of what could be the worst thing that could happen today. But The worst thing that could happen to a person is the wrath and fury and punishment of God being poured out on their life forever. Drinking that cup would be the worst thing that happened to anyone and everyone in all places. That's the worst thing. But you know what? You want to hear the best thing? Does the worst thing happen to the best one in my place? So examine your life in light of scriptures. Don't be like these people that don't know the difference between a Messiah and a murderer. No. Recognize who he is, how holy he is, and how deep he stooped to be with you. To bring you to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered once. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God. And the worst thing that could happen to us today, right? Bows its knee to the worst thing that Christ did in our place. So if you are a Christian today, connect everything to this. Where does discouragement start? Where does... Apathy, laziness, it all happens when we disconnect what we're dealing with to what Jesus did in our place. See, everything connects to that. So let's recognize him and his authority and his holiness and his substitution for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son who is king and holy and our substitute for our sin. Lord, save those among us that don't know you, that you might give them grace to turn and believe what you've done. Please help us, have mercy on us as what we will do with the king of the Jews, cements in our minds on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.